0: Let's pray together. Father, we do ascribe to You the glory due Your name and praise You for the splendor of Your holiness. We praise You because in Your holiness, You are just, patient, and wise. In You, there is no bias motivated by wickedness or evil. Your vision is not distorted by sin. The vain things of this world do not distract you and do not complicate your motives. Unlike us, your eyes see the true state of our hearts. With precision, your gaze sees the eternal value of all things. For you alone always view life through the lens of truth. So we praise you and you only as our worthy and just judge. As your people who so often happily choose blindness instead of sight and deafness, Instead of the hearing of your voice, we marvel at your patience. For in the very act of your restraint, the depth of your kindness is illuminated and the nature of your mercy displayed. Every day that you endure the sinfulness of your creation, the shades of your compassion become more clear and its shape more sweet. And God, we praise you because in your just judgment, in your patience, you display perfect wisdom. Throughout Scripture, Heavenly Father, we see that it is by Your will and Your Word that all life, all creation exists. Lord Jesus, it is by Your life, death, and resurrection, by Your faithful, enduring obedience that the Father redeems those who are His. Holy Spirit, it is by Your work that the hearts of men are turned toward the Father and made capable of glorifying Him. So Lord, our hearts sing Your praise this morning. For you are the source of all justice, patience, and true wisdom. We praise you because your character, your attributes, turn the attention of all creation to the only one worthy of glory. Please grant to us during this time that our hearts would be, tu- would be tuned to the truth and majesty of your word, and to the beauty and praise of the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. It is to the praise of him alone that we pray these things through him. Amen. If you would, turn your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter (coughs) 2. Acts, chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 37 through 47 today. We are continuing with our series, We Are the Church. Last week, we discussed who the church was for. And we we talked from Scripture about the fact that the church belongs to Christ as a picture of His authority over all things. And that because of that, the focus of our gathering together is to glorify and serve Christ and to build up the body. And so if this is the proper biblical understanding of who the church is for, then it leads us to the question that we need to examine today. How can someone belong to the church? How can you become a believer in Jesus Christ? What does that mean? If the church exists with specific purposes in mind, then it stands to reason that there would be boundaries that are necessitated by those purposes. Now that kind of thinking can cause some people to feel a little bit uneasy. That maybe it's unkind or even elitist or exclusionary to say that. But think of it like this. Let's say that I am going to establish a school that teaches English to children who are coming from another country to live here in the United States. I want to establish a school to teach them English. It would be right and good for me... In establishing that school to require that the teachers that I hire be able to speak English it would not be it would not be wise for me to hire people who do not speak English to teach English to these children it's not unkind or cruel to those who do not speak English it's not discriminatory in a negative sense but it is impossible for the teachers to accomplish their stated objective of teaching English if they themselves don't speak that language. Now that's just an analogy, but I hope that it helps you to understand that when we think about the fact that if the church exists in order to fulfill certain purposes or to do certain things, that those purposes can only be accomplished by those who are equipped to fulfill those purposes. And that the equipping that is necessary to glorify and praise and worship Jesus Christ and the equipping that is necessary to build up the body, that that equipping comes only by a work of God through the Holy Spirit. We are not naturally equipped to do that and that equipping by God through the Holy Spirit only occurs in the lives of of believers, of Christ followers. And so that is why this question is important. That when we think about who the church is for, what the church is, that we rightly answer the question, how can someone belong to the church? So let's look together today at our passage in Acts chapter 2 to consider how someone can belong to the church. And so as we get started, I want to set the context for us a little bit. In the beginning of Acts chapter 2, the helper that Jesus promised the disciples, the helper that would come after he was gone, arrives on the scene. The disciples, the followers of Christ, are together and they are praying, and suddenly the Holy Spirit comes down upon them. And as an evidence of the Holy Spirit coming upon them, they begin to speak in all these different languages. When the book of Acts talks about speaking in tongues, in this sense, this is what it means. They are speaking in known languages. It is something that exists for the purposes of spreading the gospel. And so they start to do this, and they're speaking in these different languages. And there are people there who are from all over the world who have come to Jerusalem. And they hear them speaking in their languages, and and some of the people are amazed by this. There are others who hear this, and they're not amazed. They just think these guys are drunk in the morning. They're filled with new wine, and they're just babbling incoherently because they're all drunk. But in that moment, Peter begins to preach. He stands up before this huge crowd of people, and he begins to show them from the Scriptures that Jesus is, is the Messiah that they have been waiting for. The Messiah who has been promised since the fall in Genesis has come. The offspring of the woman who would crush the serpent's head has come. And He takes them through the Scriptures and He shows them how Jesus fulfills them. And he ends with this powerful exclamation that both affirms who Jesus is and calls the Israelites to account for the fact that they were the ones who killed him. In Acts 2.36, the verse right before our passage, Peter says this, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So this chapter begins with Peter preaching. And then our passage is what happens after. So let's look together at verses 37 through 41. And the first thing that we're going to see in our passage is how can someone belong to the church? Repent of your sins. Repent of your sins. Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 41. Now... And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So when the people heard what Peter was saying, when they heard his exclamation that we saw in verse 36, that Christ, whom they crucified, was the Lord, and was the Christ. The Scriptures say that they were cut to the heart. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. It's tempting to read that and think of it strictly as an emotional response. To think, well, they heard what Peter said and it it hurt them, and and they were cut to the heart in an emotional sense. And there is an element of truth to that, but there is something deeper here when we focus all of our attention on eliciting an emotional response, we, we, we traverse into dangerous territory. Because here's the truth. The truth is that people are notoriously easy to manipulate. And you can play certain songs in certain keys in certain ways that are going to make you feel things. And you can say certain words in certain ways with a certain tone, and it'll make you feel things. But the aim of what Peter was preaching that day was not to make them feel things. This points to a deep-seated change in how they view and understand the Scriptures and the world. It points back to in the Old Testament when God, in trying to educate Israel on the true nature of belonging to Him tells them that there will come a day where He will circumcise their hearts He will circumcise their hearts not just their outward flesh but He will circumcise their hearts and so when we see here in the scriptures that they were cut to the heart I believe that it is pointing us to that reality that this is God circumcising the hearts of His people It is changing how they understand the Word of God, how they see the world, how they know what God is saying. And once they have that realization, they have something that they have never had before. They have true, real sorrow over their sin. They have true, real sorrow over what they have done to God. Because remember, Peter just told them, You killed the Messiah. You did that. And so here they are, standing here in this city with Peter preaching to them, and God cuts them to the heart. And what do they say? Brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do with what you are saying? That is the natural question in response to the gospel proclaimed. What shall we do? And so Peter tells them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. So the first thing he says is you have to repent. You must repent. What does that mean? What does it mean to repent? We, we have some, 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 some sloppiness in our language in the church today, I think, in talking about things like repentance, and we kind of equate repentance with asking forgiveness, telling God I'm sorry, and saying that's repentance. That is not repentance. Repentance has to do with turning away from sin and turning toward God. That's what repentance is. Repentance is not simply saying, I'm sorry. Repentance is saying, I am going to direct my steps toward God instead of toward my sin. So we must reject our own ways, our own thoughts, our own desires, our own sinful hearts. We must reject that. And we must turn toward God, trust in His ways, obey His commands, and do what He calls us to do. That is repentance. Repentance is turning from ourselves to God. So Peter says, repent and be baptized. Now, next week we are going to talk at length about baptism. We're going to talk, I'm going to preach an entire sermon about baptism, so I'm not going to go too deeply into baptism today. But just as a a very brief understanding, baptism is a public pronouncement of faith in Christ in which a believer is dunked into water to symbolize their sins being washed away by the blood of Christ. That is what baptism is on a very elementary, simple level. And so Peter is telling the people, repent and be baptized. So turn from your sin toward God and publicly profess that you are doing that. Now remember when this is happening. It has not been very long since Jesus was killed. It has not been very long since Jesus was publicly executed. And now Peter is telling these Jews to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. To publicly say, I worship Jesus, whom you called a blasphemer and murdered. This is not a light or small thing that he is telling them to do. This is not something that is culturally accepted. There's not going to be a bunch of family members who show up to take pictures and celebrate by taking you out to Golden Corral after church. By doing this, you are literally saying, I am willing to die for the sake of following Jesus Christ. This is heavy. Because he says, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. So he specifies. He wants to make sure everybody knows you are publicly professing that you follow Jesus. And you have to do that because Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. There is no way to the Father except through Him. And so remember, again, Peter is preaching this sermon and saying these things to a bunch of Jews who believe that they can come and have sacrifices and do feasts and festivals and circumcise themselves and their children and do these things outwardly, and that is righteous, and that makes them right before God, and it does not. There was never a point in time where Jesus was not the way to heaven. All of the sacrificial systems in the Old Testament were pointing specifically to Jesus. All of the promises in the Old Testament were pointing specifically to Jesus. And so Peter is saying here, hey listen, it's all about Him. And so right now you need to publicly say, my understanding of righteousness, my understanding of God and His law is wrong. And I trust in Jesus Christ as the only way. And you are doing this for the forgiveness of your sins. Again, remember, these are people that are there to follow and obey God's command. And Peter says, you need to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Because you are not righteous. You are a sinner. Despite the fact that you, a Jewish person, are a descendant of Abraham, you are a child of the promise, so you think... You are a sinner who is far off from God and you need Jesus Christ to bring you back to be near. That's what he's saying. That is the problem. Our sins separate us from God. Our unrighteousness keeps us apart from Him. And apart from Christ, we are under His wrath. We are still a child of Adam who will face condemnation for our sins apart from Christ. And so Peter says, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll be saved. And not only will you be saved, but you will be given the gift of the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that is enabling Peter in that moment to speak in languages that he does not know. For the people who are there to hear him proclaim the gospel of Christ. The same Holy Spirit will be yours. That gift that God has promised through Christ to give to believers will be yours. You will have the Holy Spirit who will sanctify you and make you more like Jesus, who will help you to remember scriptures that you have committed to implanting in your heart, who will help you to walk by faith and not by sight. That helper will be given to you if you repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. There's two things here in this section that I want to emphasize that exist kind of outside of the flow of our message today, but I think that they're really important. So I want to make sure you understand them. The first one is this. Verse 37 tells us, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. We all need to rightly understand how the gospel is spread. There is a famous saying that is wrongly attributed to Francis of Assisi that says, Preach the gospel wherever you go in all things, and if necessary, use words. It is highly unlikely that Francis of Assisi ever said that, Not really sure where that saying came from, but let me tell you today that that is wrong. There is only one way to preach the Gospel, and that is with words. You can live like Jesus. You can showcase the glory of God in sanctifying you by the power of the Gospel through the Holy Spirit, and that is all well and good. But there is no one alive who will be saved by watching how you drive in traffic. There is no one alive who will be saved by seeing how you love and discipline your children. People are saved through the hearing of God's word proclaimed. They are saved through the verbal proclamation of the gospel or by extension the written word of the gospel. I lump that together with hearing. Here's why I say that. In Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 9, it says this. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So we see here another reinforcing of how to be saved. You confess, you confess publicly that Christ is Lord of your life and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead for the forgiveness of sins, you are saved by that. And he goes on, Paul does, and says in verse 10, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. So Paul continues on in this passage in Romans 10, and he says, Not only are you saved that way, but that salvation is for all men who believe. All women, all children who believe. It's not just for the Jews. It's for everyone. And Paul goes on in verse 13. And he says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? So they can't call upon Jesus as Lord if they don't believe in Him. And how are they to believe in Him? of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And then in verse 17, it says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So Paul, in Romans chapter 10, in explaining how we are saved, he says, make sure you understand. People can't believe in Jesus unless they've heard of him. And they can't hear of him unless you go and tell them. The gospel is proclaimed in words, not in deeds. It is important for us to understand that. The people at Pentecost were not saved because they saw the the apostles speaking in tongues. They were saved because they heard what Peter said and they were cut to the heart. There's a reason why what you see over and over again in the Gospels is you see these big crowds of people who are following Jesus because of His miracles. This is the guy that fed the 5,000 plus out of five loaves and two fishes. And then they follow him and they say, we want more food. And then when they hear what Jesus has to say, when he says, hey, listen, no one, unless you'll only be saved if you eat my flesh and drink my blood. They all go, hey, no, 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 no. I don't want all that. I just wanted the free stuff. I just wanted your actions. I don't want your words. We must proclaim the gospel. That is how men and women and children are saved. The other thing that I want you to notice in this section of Scripture this morning is the promise. The promise. Peter says to the people, For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. What is the promise? In Genesis chapter 12, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, and your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That is the beginnings of the promise that God made to the people of Israel through Abraham. He said, In you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. This is the fulfillment of that promise. This is what God was talking about. That in the descendant of Abraham, Jesus Christ all the nations of the earth will be blessed that in him we will be brought back to God that those who are near and who are far off that they will all be brought back to God everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself this is the same way that God called Abraham to himself Abraham was out wherever he was, and God says, Hey you, get up and walk. He called Abraham to himself. And so Peter says, This promise is for you, and it's for your children, and for all who are far off. We are brought into the family of Abraham through Christ, the offspring of Abraham. We are made a part of the people of God through this promise. And so he's telling the Jews, this promise that you thought meant because I'm descended from Abraham, I'm good? No. That meant Christ is the descendant of Abraham and you need to be in Him. And Peter, despite the fact that he has people ready to respond to what he's saying, he keeps preaching. He doesn't stop and have an altar call. He doesn't stop and say, okay, everybody who wants to come, please come. He keeps going. He keeps proclaiming God's word. And he says, save yourselves from this crooked generation. This this generation that is hearing this is the culmination of Israel's rejection of God. Israel, throughout their history has consistently not abided by the covenant. Israel has consistently rejected God in their disobedience. And that disobedience has now culminated in the fact that the Son of God came to them in flesh. And instead of worshipping Him and welcoming Him with open arms, what did they do? They rejected Him and they killed Him. It doesn't get much more of a crooked generation than that. The ones who said we are God's people had God Himself right in front of their face and they rejected Him. And so through Peter's very aggressive, very hostile, very honest proclamation of the truth in saying you killed the Messiah, about 3,000 more souls were added to them that day. Peter preached the truth. God cut to the heart. And about 3,000 people repented of their sins and believed in the Gospel. And so, to you today I say, how can you belong to the church? Repent of your sins and believe upon Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died for you. That is how You can belong to the people of God. How can you belong to the church? You must be a Christian. And that is how you become one. The second thing that we see in our passage today comes from verses 42 through 47. And what we're going to see there is that you must commit to the body. You must commit to the body. So that day... About 3,000 souls were saved. And then in verse 42 it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So, the very next thing we see in our story is that they go from being saved under Peter's preaching and then they devote themselves... They devote themselves. They commit themselves. They say, I am attaching myself to this. This is now my reality of life. This is now how I am going to spend my time and my energy. I am devoting myself to this group of people. This group of people that the scriptures have told us is the body of Christ. And so what what are they devoting themselves to? What what are the markers of these uh, of their fellowship? It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. To the apostles' teaching. What this indicates is that they were devoting themselves to the right instruction in the word of God. Because remember at this time, they did not have the New Testament they didn't have the letters. In fact, the author who had written, who wrote so much of the New Testament, he wasn't even a Christian yet. And so, what are they hearing the apostles teaching about? The apostles are teaching from the Old Testament. The apostles are taking the scriptures that these, these people have heard from their youth, that they think they understand in a certain way, and they are taking these things and they're saying, Nope. You're wrong. This is about Jesus Christ. And here's why. And so they are devoting themselves to this teaching so that they rightly understand the Word of God. And so when you commit to the body, you must devote yourself to right instruction in the Word. Not seeking out teachers that tickle your ears, not looking for preachers that preach in a certain style that you just really enjoy but finding a preacher that is faithful to teach God's Word. They also devoted themselves to the fellowship. They were devoted to gathering together with believers. This was important to them. This was a central component of their lives. We see later in the passage that they were doing these things day by day. They were devoted to being with other Christians. Now, part of that was a natural outgrowth of the fact that many of these people now had families that had disowned them at best and wanted to kill them in some cases. And so part of it was just a natural outgrowth of the fact that they now had no one but there's more to it than that. They were committed to getting together, to learning the word, to worshiping God, because of the fact that they now were recognizing we are the children of the promise. So they were devoted to gathering together with other believers. They were gathering together, they were devoted to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The breaking of bread here is kind of a double reference. Number one, they were eating together, they were having meals together, something Baptists do really well when it's not COVID times. Really looking forward to potlucks again, folks, amen? But it's not just talking about getting together and having cheeseburgers. It's talking about the Lord's Supper, too. That when they got together, they were devoted to being together and in their being together and doing life together and eating meals together they were also even in that remembering what Christ has done with the Lord's supper and they were devoted to the prayers they were devoted to gathering together to pray for one another to pray for the people in their lives who did not know Jesus Christ to come to faith in him And so in verse 43, it says, "...and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles." Notice something here. Notice. The signs and the wonders being done by the apostles, that is put into the context of the church. Now, there's no doubt that the signs and wonders were visible to people outside of the church... But there's a reason this is placed inside the context of the church. And that is because the signs and wonders that they were doing were evidences from God that these men were telling the truth. It was evidences of God that these men were trustworthy. That, they could, that you could listen to what they're saying. Because remember, they're telling these people things about the Old Testament that they've probably never heard before. What do you mean Psalm 22 is about Jesus on the cross? how, How is that possible? And so as a part of God's reassurance to these people that they were not following a bunch of crackpots, making stuff up as they went along, they are doing signs and wonders, and the awe that falls upon their souls is not them going, man, look at these cool things that the apostles can do. The awe that falls upon their souls is them saying, this is truly of God. And so there's, they're, ga- they're gathering together and this is showcasing the authority of the apostles' teaching. And it says that all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They had all things in common. People have pointed to these verses and said, see, Christianity is really socialism. And all Christians should be socialists. That's not what's going on here. This is not forced distribution of wealth by the state. This is believers having all things in common, taking care of one another. These are people who had lost their families, who had lost their homes, who had lost their livelihoods in many cases. And so there was this expectation of, you commit to Christ, I'll help keep food on your table. That's what's happening here. They are caring for one another because they love one another. And this care that they are showing to one another is in itself a declaration of faith in God. They're not concerned about making sure i got enough for me. I'm concerned about laying my life down and showing love to my neighbor. That's what's happening. And as I referenced earlier, verse 46 says in day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. When it says day by day, I want you to really understand what's happening here. The fellowship with the body is not just for Sundays. If you think commitment to the body of Christ is showing up on Sundays, you're only getting part of the puzzle. Commitment to the body is commitment to each other. It's a daily checking on one another, holding one another accountable, taking care of one another. It's when someone in our church calls and says, hey, I got, I got a leak in my roof. Can you come and help me? And you say, yes, I can. That, that's what it looks like day by day in taking care of one another. They're doing life together. They are attending the temple together. They're worshiping God together day by day. They're worshiping Christ day by day. They're breaking bread in their homes. They're spending time with one another. They're remembering what Christ has done together. And they're receiving their food with glad and generous hearts. This kind of fellowship produces in us a joy and a thankfulness and a generosity that comes from the gathering together with believers. And how did God respond to this? It says that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So listen, the Christians are gathering together every single day. Every single day they're doing this. They're not putting together outreach programs. They're not figuring out how to go knock on doors. They're spending their time together, worshiping God together. And through the course of their life, as they are interacting with other people, guess what's happening? They're saying, I follow Jesus Christ. And you should too. Repent and believe the gospel. And that's what happens. That's what's happening. When they go to the temple together, they are worshiping Christ amidst a bunch of people who reject Christ. And they're proclaiming the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And people are being saved. The church is rightly focused on building each other up and equipping each other to go out and spread the gospel. The church is not gathered together, spending all of their time together, thinking about how we can reach those outside. Do you see the difference? We gather together to worship Christ and equip ourselves to go out. This is the natural outgrowth of being a Christian. Being committed to the body, being devoted to the body. This is the natural outgrowth of being a Christian. One naturally flows into the other. If you love Jesus Christ, you will love his bride. You will. That's just natural. It's how it happens. And so, if you say that you are a Christian, but you are not committed to the body, there's something wrong. There is a disconnect there in your heart. Now, I'm not going to say right off the bat, you're definitely not a Christian if you're not committed to the body. But here's what I will say. If you tell me you're a Christian, but you're not committed to the body, you're not devoted to the body the way that we see in Scripture, i got some questions. I've got some concerns. We need to have some conversations. Because it could just be that there's sanctification needed in your life. But it also could be an indication that you really aren't committed to Christ because Christianity is not a solo project the priesthood of the believer does not mean that you stand alone on an island because there was more than one priest who served in the temple we are collectively the body of Christ I can't cut off my foot and expect my foot to go do work in the same way You can't say you're a Christian and be disconnected from the body of Christ and rightly serve and glorify Him. It doesn't work that way. And so as we conclude, as we close today, here is what you should pull from this. How you should understand this text. How can someone belong to the church you must repent and believe in the gospel you must there is no other way there is no other way by which a man can be saved except through jesus christ and so if you are here today and you have never repented and believed the gospel if you have never fully devoted your life to Jesus Christ, if you have never publicly proclaimed that I am turning from my sin and turning toward God and actually done that, you are not saved. And I implore you today to give your heart to Jesus Christ. To commit yourself to following Him, to loving Him, to serving Him. And if you are here today, and that is where you are in your life, if you do not know Jesus Christ, if you are not a follower of Him, I beg you to come and talk to me. To sit down with me and we can talk from the Scriptures about who Jesus is and why it is of vital importance for you to commit yourself to Him. And if you are here, And you are a follower of Christ. You have repented of your sins and turned toward God. How can you belong to the church? By committing yourself to the body. To be a church member means you are a Christian who is committed to the body of Christ. Those two things are non-negotiable to be a church member. It has nothing to do with whether or not you have walked an aisle and gotten dunked in a tank. Zero. We all know people who when they were seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old, walked an aisle and got dunked in a tank and said, I, be- I believe in Jesus. I trust Him with my life. And then, like the seeds in the parable of the sower, eventually, it's scorched out. And the things of the world take precedence. And now, they're nowhere to be found. They are completely invisible to the body. They don't show themselves here for any reason. And not only that, their lives do not bear any mark of Christ-likeness whatsoever. Those people are not church members. Not according to the Bible. They might be on a roll somewhere. But according to what the Bible says a church member is, they are not. And frankly, according to what the Bible says a Christian is, they probably are not. We should not endeavor to give false assurance to people and tell them, No, 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 I remember the day you walked the aisle. Meanwhile, they're addicted to heroin and sleeping around and stealing money, and doing whatever they want, and not serving Christ, and not being committed to the body. When we think about how someone can belong to the church, when we think about who the church is for, when we think about what the church is going to do, we must rightly understand that to be a member of a church, you must be a Christian who is devoted to the body. You must repent and believe the gospel and devote yourself day by day to the teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. That's how someone can belong to the church. And so in just a moment, Brother Scott is going to come and we're going to have a hymn of reflection. And at this time I would ask that you ask the Holy Spirit of God to search your heart. To cut you to the heart. To reveal to you where you stand in truth before God. Are you in Adam? Headed toward death and wrath and destruction? Or are you in Christ? And if you are in Christ, then I would ask that you ask God to help you to renew again your commitment to the body of Christ. Because Christ is worthy of it. Let's pray together. Father... Thank You for Your grace and Your mercy and Your love that You have freely given to us. And I pray, Father, today that You would work in the hearts of the people who are here. That if, Father, if there is one here who does not know Jesus Christ, I pray, Lord, that You would cut them to the heart today and that they would repent and believe the Gospel. That, Father, their hearts would cry, What must I do? And lead them to come and talk, talk to me today father and for those who are here that are believers and followers of jesus christ lord i pray that you would in their hearts renew afresh their commitment to the body of christ to the fellowship of believers that we all together would have a right biblical understanding of church membership and that our hearts would be changed by it that our church would be strengthened and equipped by it that christ would be glorified in us We pray this in his name and for his glory. Amen.